0: Uh, I just want to transition. We've been looking through the book of Acts in in recent days and um, we have come to Acts chapter six and verse seven, which is what's known as a progress report in the book of Acts. And so that's really what's causing me to to think about my message this morning, which is a little bit of a deviation than normal. Normally, we take a text, just work through it this morning. We're kind of kind of overview acts. Um, We've done this before. We have taken up um, Acts. Uh, Chapter one of verse eight as the theme verse in the book. These were the the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This verse, right, you, you notice there is a key phrase in this verse. It says, you will be my witnesses. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. We see the apostles over and over and over again being witnesses for Jesus, telling them of what they have seen and, and heard. And uh, that, that really is what, what the, the book is about. It's really the great application for us this morning and for us throughout all the book of Acts is to be witnesses of Jesus And we, too, are just simply called forth to share forth the experiences of everything that we know, everything we've seen in Jesus, what we've read in His Word, how we've come to find forgiveness and grace and hope in Him, and just pass that on and share that with others. Um, We also see in this verse here just the power to do that. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. We must rely upon the Spirit to do that. It's not that we in our own strength are going to do those things. I mentioned last week of the, the job of the pastor is really an impossible job. I'm called to do what only God can do. I'm called to, to grow people in the faith, bring people to the faith, seek to nurture you all. And it's only what God can do. And so likewise, you have an impossible challenge. as you seek to be witnesses for Jesus, you need the Spirit in order to do that. Don't think that you can do that on your own. And then regarding the outline of the book in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see a geographic outline right here in this verse. We start with Jerusalem. And then Judea and Samaria and uh, the, the ends of the earth. Jerusalem was the center of the religious world in the days of Jesus and the apostles. As it is in our day as well as Judaism and Christianity and uh, even Islam focuses much. The attention, remembrance, everything came out of Jerusalem. Jesus was crucified there just right outside the city. Just in Jerusalem, the, the center. And then Judea in the south and Samaria in the north as the gospel expands slowly slowly. Uh, just in those, those regions there, and then even to the ends of the earth. Just just geographical um, description there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You can think of those as concentric circles emanating out from Jerusalem to the entire world. And that's exactly what we see in the book of Acts, chapters 1 through 7. The gospels in Jerusalem, j- just right there. And in chapters 8 through 12, we're going to see the gospel expand to Judea and Samaria. And then 13 and following, we're going to see as it traces to the ends of the earth. And Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is is really a totally legitimate way to uh, cut up the book of Acts. It's what we have done, what we will continue to do. But there's other ways to look at the book um, as well. And uh, these other ways are are a bit like slicing pizza. Do you know that you can slice pizza in a couple different ways? This past Thursday we had some lunch and um, I cut our pizza into two different ways. We got we got wedges on this side and we got squares on this side. How many are wedge people? Okay, how many of your square people? Okay, I, I personally, I'm a square person, if I had had the chance. Um, they're both legitimate ways to uh, to cut up pizza. Um, pizza in the wedge is interesting that every, every shape is the same. You get equal amount of crust as you do normal inner pizza, I guess. And on, on the squares, sometimes you have an inner piece, sometimes you have outer piece. And if you grab one of those little corner triangle pieces, you get a ton of crust and a little bit of pizza. But you put it all back together, and it still makes... Pizza. So it is with the book of Acts. So you can slice it up in terms of geography, like Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Or you can slice it up using various progress reports that are placed throughout the book as markers of the growth of the church. I think both ways are, are legitimate. They, they look different, have a little bit different emphasis. The geography just says, basically, you look and see how God is just expanding the, the, the church spatially, uh, the progress reports maybe emphasize more spiritual growth, maybe more numerical growth. But they both work, but there are some who have argued that the progress reports are even better. Uh, like Peter Kroll says this The geographical breakdown of Acts 1 through 8, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, makes a lot of sense and can certainly be helpful for visualizing the narrative. He says, My chief concern with it is that it doesn't follow closely on the literary markers which are the narrative statements summarizing the Christian movement's growth. There are seven such statements scattered throughout the book, and every one is accompanied by a tangible sense of narrative resolution, giving us a good reason to see them as as marking Luke's main thought, main units of of thought. And while I think it's a little bit like cutting pizza, there are others who really believe strongly one way or the other, and... uh, um, we're going to continue to go with Acts one eight, but I thought now that we get one of those progress reports in Acts chapter six verse seven before we go into Stephen, it'd be a good chance just even to familiarize you all with these progress reports. So as we see them, uh, you'll understand about them a little bit uh, more. We've already seen one of them and we just kind of glanced over it, uh, but we're going to look at all of them today as we summarize the book uh, of Acts. It's going to help encourage us to see the church as triumphant. And uh, we'll encourage us then to pray and believe and trust that God can do the same thing at Rock Valley Bible Church. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Appropriately, my message is entitled The Progress of the Early Church. As we see these progress reports throughout the the book of Acts. Um, and, And in each one of these, right, we're going to see the church expanding and growing. It's going to be a little bit like the song we sang today. Oh, God, you have done great things. That's what each of these reports say. They, they say, God, you've done great things in, uh, in the church, and in that we can rejoice. Now, each of these verses, there they are. I've listed them for you right there. It's kind of we're going to land at 247, and then chapter 6, verse 7, and 931, and 1224, and chapter 16, verse 5, and chapter 19, verse 20, and then end with the very last two verses in all, all the Bible. But each of these are, are a little bit like a midterm report card that a, a teacher might send home to a student, with the student, to the parents, update them on the academic process. You want to say, how good is the church going? Well, here, here's a progress report. Here's a progress report. Now, the deal with these progress reports in the book of Acts is it's a little bit like sending home a midterm grade to a straight-A student, They're doing, doing great, right? Things are like A's and A pluses, and you might you know, even have comments that maybe parent, the, the, the teacher wrote right there. Like, this student shows enthusiasm for classroom activity, or this student is an example of exemplary behavior in the classroom. The student is very hardworking and completes all their work on time. The student is active in all the discussions. Uh, those sorts of things. That's what we're going to see here. We're going to see words like numbers increasing. We're going to see words like disciples multiplying. We're, we're going to see words like built up and prevailing and unhindered is the kingdom of god and if anything they teach us they teach us that that god's church will prevail and it really ought to be encouraging to us to know that our prayer will be answered as we pray right thy god, thy will be done thy kingdom come thy will be done and the kingdom will indeed come as we just see god powerfully working to grow his church well, let's look at the first progress report. We've, we've already even seen this, and it's in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. It's the, the very last verse, even really the, the last half of the verse in chapter 2. Completes the narrative after the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people are saved from the sin. We read this, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, there's some interesting things that we can find here. Uh, in this verse. And if we learn anything, here's my first point. I'm not sure if you can read that this morning, if you can't. All my points. Normally I try to be short points. Pithy point today, every point is like a big long sentence about what we've learned. So it's just different trying to give you some variety. So I'm hoping to do if we learn anything. Here's what we learn. We learn when Jesus left the earth, he continued to add to his church. I mean, if you remember the context of the first two chapters of Acts, it's that Jesus left. He was there in chapter one, and then and then he was ascended up into heaven, and, and then he was gone. I mean, and you think about how would the disciples have reacted with their leader who was with them for three years and teaching them and telling them all things now, now is gone. What would you do if your leader left? I think I would do what the apostles did. They prayed. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, it says all of them with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. That is all the disciples, along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And, and, and perhaps their prayers were more fervent than others because Jesus wasn't there to direct them. They, they really needed guidance from the Lord in these things. And, and perhaps that's what guided them to. To be led to bolster their leadership in chapter 1 when they decided to replace Judas with uh, Matthias, full 12 disciples on their leadership team, but maybe they felt alone. Right? Maybe they're fearful of the future. And then the day of Pentecost came. He came with power, just like Jesus had said in, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. The Holy Spirit came. All of the disciples to speak in other languages they'd never known before and hear the multitude to heard all these people speaking in these these tribal languages of the people and they're all amazed. And so Peter told the people that this is the coming of the spirit that Joel had prophesied in chapter two. And then he preached the gospel to them in Acts chapter two and verse twenty two. It says men of Israel hear these words. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the 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 foreknowledge of God, definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified him and you killed him by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for sin to be held for him to be held by uh, death. And then Peter then finishes words. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You crucified this man, but he's the one who's Lord and Christ. They were cut to the heart. Three thousand people repented and they believed and they trusted in Christ. Added that day, three thousand people, the church. And mind you all, this was all after Jesus left. After his death, his his followers were few, perhaps even as low as one hundred twenty. But now there were, were 3,000. And um, you know, while, while Jesus was absent, he continued to keep his promise to build his church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I will build my church. And you might even argue, it's interesting here, that Jesus is more effective building his church when he was gone than he was there. Because when, when he was there with the, the disciples, it was only 120. But now that he's gone 3,000 one day. You know, I, th- I think it's like the, the office workers in COVID find themselves to be more productive when they're at home, when they're away, than when they're at work, if you will. And Jesus is away and building his church in great ways. And that's the first progress report says. It says, right here, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. You might even say Jesus added to their number day by day those who are being saved. And even when Jesus left the earth, he still continued to add to his church. I think that's the point of this progress report. He didn't need to be physically pre- present to do the job of building his church. He's doing it quite well even now while he's gone. Well, the next progress report comes in chapter 6, verse 7. We, we looked at this briefly last week. I kind of uh, glossed over it. In fact, even a, a couple years ago, I spent one whole Sunday preaching from the second half of this verse about these priests becoming obedient to the faith. Just an amazing thing. Uh, but in the, this progress report, we read this. The word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And here's, here's my long-winded point, okay? When suffering great opposition, the church multiplied greatly. If you remember the, the context of chapters 3 through 6, which we've been going through the last couple of months, we said the church experiencing great opposition... The first opposition came in chapter 4 when, when the Sadducees couldn't handle the, the, the apostles preaching in Jesus the resurrection of the dead because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And, and these were the, the religious leaders. And they grabbed the apostles, Peter and John particularly, and put them in prison. And then when they had an opportunity to address them, Peter was bold. Acts chapter 4 and verse 11. He said, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. But this is the very one who became the cornerstone. And there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Boldly proclaiming in Jesus, right, that's salvation. And uh, the religious council didn't know what to do with these uneducated men. And basically decided to give them a verbal warning. Don't preach anything anymore in that name. And compared to what comes later in the book of Acts... This warning is like not even a slap on the wrist. I mean, a slap on the wrist maybe gets a little, a little red there. Just a verbal warning is really nothing. But it was an opposition to the gospel. And then in chapter 5, we see some satanic involvement as well. Satanic enticement came when Ananias and Sapphira right, lied to the leaders of the church. They sold some property and brought to the, the apostles a part of the proceeds. They claimed that they had brought everything, but they'd really only brought part of the proceeds. It was blatant hypocrisy uh, in the church. And the apostles saw right through it and saw the satanic involvement in this. Chapter 5 and verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds? This was Satan opposing the church by trying to destroy the church from within. It was the Sadducees from without... Imprisoning the apostles, telling them don't preach anymore. And now it's from within. Satan enticing people to lie. lie. Right? But, but really, that, that didn't stop the church. And that didn't stop the opposition either. It came in chapter 5. We saw that right, in the last couple of weeks. Opposition from the religious authorities. When all the apostles were arrested. And this time before they were released, they were beaten. That is, they were flogged. And they left with bruises and bloody uh, leaving their council. But, but none of those... Stop the church. It marched forward. The word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So I've said it, right? When suffering great opposition, the church multiplied greatly. You just even see that word greatly come in chapter 6 and verse 7. And just even how a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And that's such a shocking statement because these were Jewish priests whose job it was to offer up sacrifices on behalf of the people. I know some men, I'm reading through the Bible with some men this year. We just finished Leviticus. and We just finished the whole idea about you sin and you need to bring a sacrifice. That's who these priests were. And to then follow Jesus meant that they would lose their their job. They would lose their reputation because they would no longer offer up a a sacrifice, which in their minds now is an abomination to the Lord. To say Jesus isn't... um, Sufficient in his sacrifice, so I they couldn't do that, and a great many priests became obedient to the faith. That's why here the church multiplied greatly. Paul's or Luke's emphasis here. Well, let's let's go to the third progress report. It comes in chapter nine and verse thirty-one. You can turn over there, and it uh, it reads like this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Okay, here's my long sentence on this one. When facing violent attacks, the church experienced peace and comfort. I mean, if any chapters in the book of Acts are violent, it is in chapters 7 and 9 are violent. In fact, they are just almost the most violent of the entire book of Acts. In chapter 7, we read the death of Stephen, being stoned to death one of the, the crucifixions a difficult awful way to die but stoning also is an awful way to die oftentimes they would take you and they would throw you off a cliff in order that if you fell down you might might break a leg or you might be hindered in some somehow and then and then they throw these boulders over the cliff and they're trying to trying to get you and there you are you've been thrown over this cliff you've dropped maybe 15 feet 20 feet uh whatever 40 feet whatever and, and then and then you're on the ground and then and then it's raining these boulders coming from on top and maybe at first you can dodge them a little bit but as they come you know maybe one hits your leg and then and then it hits your leg and your pain and then it hits your back and then finally some start to hit your head it starts to crack your head and you, you start to start to bleed and you can hardly move even more. And then you're still being pelted until until you're done. And that's exactly what was was happening. If you look in um, chapter seven. When Peter finished preaching, they were enraged. In chapter 7, verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, rushed together at him, and they cast him out of the city. They they got him out of the city and perhaps threw him down someplace, and they stoned him. That is, they were pelting him with stones. and, And Saul was there. Verse 58, the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is to be the Apostle Paul later. But here he was an unbeliever, and in full agreement of everything going on. You can see his agreement In chapter 8 and verse 1, where it says Saul approved of his execution. And here was Stephen, the godly Stephen, right called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, even he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he said that, he fell asleep. That is, he died being pelted with stones. It's violent. It's a violent way to die. He became a martyr. The Christian church. And then in chapter 9, we see Saul, the the zealous Pharisee, heading off to persecute Christians in a violent way. He'd receive letters from the religious authorities to be able to bring back anybody who's a worshiper following the way of Jesus. Men, women, whoever. And uh, he, he he would bound them, he'd shackle them, he'd chain them together, he'd form a big train, whatever, and he'd drag them back to Jerusalem so as to be able to get at him. Um, now, we, it's interesting here in Acts chapter 9, we don't actually see um, the physical binding of Christians and dragging them off. Uh, but we know at some point between chapter 7 and chapter 9 that this was happening because Paul describes himself. In 1 Timothy 1.13, he says, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. I was violent against the people of the church. And In Philippians three verse six, he described himself as a persecutor of the church. The church, it was violent against the church, and yet in the backdrop of that, again, chapter 9 and verse 31, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. As I've said, when facing violent attacks, the church experienced peace and comfort. I mean, the contrast couldn't be any more stark. On the one hand, the the church was experiencing one of the most violent seasons against it in all of its life. On the other hand, the Holy Spirit was present, giving comfort to the afflicted. And that came, of course, through the conversion of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. And Paul began to change everything. There's God working. The most violent against the church, God says, oh, I'll just change him. I'll convert him. And so he'll be one of your greatest supporters and that changed everything from violence to comfort. All right, well, let's move forward to the fourth progress report. This is in chapter 12 and verse 24, and we read this. But the word of God increased and multiplied. It's one of the shortest progress reports we have in all of Acts. The word of God increased and multiplied. And here's my, my long sentence from this one. When branching out into a new culture, the church increased And multiplied. And branching out into a new culture, the church increased and multiplied. Now, if you remember, right after chapter 9, we come in Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11. And if you know anything about your Bibles, about the book of Acts, we see in chapter 10 when the gospel is brought to the Gentiles. That is, the the church in this time, 10, 11, and 12, isn't so much growing geographically, though though it does. But more of the emphasis here is that it's growing in, in ethnic diversity. The gospel going to the Gentiles. And this wasn't Peter's idea particularly. It was the Lord's idea. But Maybe, maybe you remember the stories that, that Peter was on the housetop. And um, he was praying before it was time to eat. And while he was there, he, 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 he came in this trance. And he saw a vision, saw a dream. And, and there was a sheet coming down held by, by four corners. Uh, of the sheet and on this sheet there were were animals of all different types you had uh, birds and you had reptiles and you had all kinds of animals and Peter was told in this vision to kill these animals and to eat them and uh, Peter objected because according to the law they were unclean and Peter being a righteous kosher Jew, having followed the laws, had never eaten any of those foods. They were prohibited for him. And so he objected. He said, by no means. I've never eaten any of these foods. Well, the revision then repeated a few times. It came down again. Peter, kill and eat. says, no, I've never eaten. The Vision comes down again. Peter, kill and eat. He says, no, I've never eaten that. And then the voice came from heaven. Acts chapter 10 and verse 15. What God has made clean, do not call common. Peter at this point is confused. He's like, What does that mean? And then then there's a knock at the door. It was some soldiers coming from the home of Cornelius. And a few days earlier, an angelic vision had come to Cornelius saying, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. So send therefore to Joppa, this man named Peter, he's staying with Simon the Tanner by the sea. And so that was four days earlier that these men came right as Peter heard. This statement says, what God has made clean, do not call common. And so seeing it as far more than a coincidence, Peter and a few of his friends went with these soldiers, went to Caesarea down by the coast. And then it all came together when Cornelius was there with his, his friends and his relatives. Peter understood Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. God's not racist, in other words. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And anyone who does what is right, that is right, believing and trusting in Christ and walking in righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit. And then he continues on as he's preaching the gospel. He says in verse uh, 42, Christ commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. And to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And and it was right there at that moment. Peter, as we can find out even later, he gives a testimony that I was just beginning to speak. It was right in the middle of his sermon that the Holy Spirit came and interrupted his sermon and saved everybody before he could even give an altar call. It was like, boom, there was. And they're saved. The Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. The Gentiles spoke in tongues, just like it happened before in in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. They're baptized in the name of Christ. An amazing event in history. And the apostles came to understand the ethnic diversity of the gospel—that it was to Gentiles as well. And, and uh, with that news, then the gospel began to spread among the Gentiles. And, and here we see the progress report in Acts chapter 12 and verse 24: the word of God increased and multiplied. A little bit geographically, but a lot. You know, up till that point, it was just Jews, but now it's filtering down more and more, even to all the Gentiles. We went to the Jews first, but then it was coming to the Gentiles, multiplying and increasing. And that comes in the context of, of the gospel, extending new cultures. And so what I said, right, when branching out into new cultures, the church increased and multiplied. All right, let's move on. Fifth progress report, Acts chapter 16 and verse 5. We read this. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers greatly. Now, this verse comes upon the backdrop of some great days in the church and then some difficult days. The great days was the sending out of, of Barnabas and Saul, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, with a, the with a first missionary journey to send them out with the gospel to different places. And they visited about four or five different cities, saw people come to faith in Christ, and it was wonderful. But right as they got back from that, difficulty erupted in the church. Uh, the difficulty wasn't so much in the persecution of the church uh, as much as it was uh, division within the church with doctrinal disputes, uh, differences of opinion, differences of thought. Well, what entitles the gospel? What is the gospel? Yet the, the church prevailed. And so the way I have said it here is when facing schisms and splits, the church was strengthened in the faith because that's exactly what we see. We see schisms Um, a a schism is basically just a a formal breach of those of differing beliefs. And and that was the threat here in Acts chapter 15 because you see people were debating the gospel. In Acts chapter 15, verse 1, some were saying that, that unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So some were saying you need to be circumcised to be saved. But Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James, the rest of the apostles, opposed that thought. And they came and they gathered in Jerusalem to oppose that. And so it's the first time in the church history there's a major doctrinal issue arose. It, it threatened to divide the church in two. Those who believed in circumcision necessary and those who believe it's by grace through faith alone, apart from works of the law. And uh, if the schism would have happened, I mean, it could have been catastrophic for the early church to have such a major difference of belief so early on. Now, praise the Lord, it, it didn't happen. And in Acts chapter fifteen tells the, the story of this debate back and forth, and then Peter stands up and says this in verse seven. He says, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by the mouth of the Gentiles should hear that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us, and He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe, verse 11, that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So the same idea, Peter stands up, he shares his experience in Acts chapter 10 about how the Holy Spirit fell and they weren't circumcised. And and yet they came to God and and God transformed them. Um, He says that that's how it is. And then Paul and Barnabas told of their journeys. And in, in verse 12, we see how they were related, what signs and wonders of God had done through them. How many of the Gentiles were converted through faith in Christ. And then James stood up at his confirmation to the words. And the apostles won the day. And the schism was averted. It didn't split into. Rather, what they did was they wrote up a document that then they would, would give to send to all the churches. So the churches might know what it is that they decided And Paul and Barnabas were all set to deliver these messages, these letters to the churches, but they had had a disagreement among themselves. So they solved the schism of doctrinal unity, but then they, in practical methodology, they had a a division amongst themselves. Barnabas wanted to bring Mark along with the journey. Mark went in the first journey, but he he had abandoned the apostles and Paul. Acts 15, verse 38, thought it best not to take with them Mark, who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. And so the difference between these two men was great enough that there was a split between these two men. There was a rift between them. They went their separate ways. Paul and Barnabas sailed away. Paul took Silas to visit the churches that they'd planted. But despite their differences, the decision of the elders... And apostles in Jerusalem were delivered to the churches, and when the churches received them, that's the context of Acts chapter sixteen, verse five, right, verse four. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered for them, observe as the decisions that have been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So there was doctrinal unity, even maybe methodological disunity, but still, even amidst that, they received these letters. And so, verse five. The churches were strengthened, and here it is, in the faith, quote-unquote. Right? It's, it's right there in the faith. What is it that, that is required of you as you believe and trust in Christ? It's just faith alone and trust in Him. You don't need to be circumcised to be saved, in other words. And they increased in numbers greatly. And there's the progress report. Just just numbers every day were increasing in the church. And, and you know, I'm so encouraged by this particular summary because it just shows here in the days of COVID, there's, there's splits and risks in the church, right? But God is so much bigger than COVID. Anything that might threaten our unity in these days, God is way bigger than that. And I have no fear of the future of the church of Jesus Christ will prevail as they prevailed even through schisms and splits. All right, two more progress reports before we, we head to the Lord's Supper. The, the next one is Acts chapter 19 and verse 20. It resists, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now this sounds just like the other reports. Things going well. Things are increasing. Things are prevailing mightily. Uh, This comes after Paul and Timothy and Titus brought the gospel to Philippi in chapter 16. And then Thessalonica and Berea and Athens in chapter 17. And then Corinth in chapter 18. And then Ephesus in chapter 19. And the gospel is simply being received by many. As it was going out, as expanding to all these different cities, all these churches being planted, as being received by many, and here's here's my long-winded sentence. Right, when expanding across the world, the church prevailed mightily, and because right here, even you see, see this great missionary expanse. Uh, between 16 and 19 here, you've got the second missionary journey where they go out and they come back. And they're out on a third missionary journey going back. They're, they're calling for help in Macedonia, divine, divine help with that. God's guiding them to go uh, to these places, to Philippi and, and um, going to Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth. And, and you're familiar with some of these places because that's where churches were planted, where letters were written to those in Thessalonica and to those in Corinth. And to those in Ephesus, where, where churches were planted, but I have no doubt even other churches were planted, but Luke just didn't record them for us here, as they were planted along the way, as the gospel was being received by many, many people. It was it was mightily, it was prevailing, and and that's I think exactly what uh, Acts chapter nineteen and verse six teaches, right? The, when the church expanding across the world, the church prevailed mightily, and during these days, the church wasn't merely limping by, barely making budget existing, same old, same old, stagnant numbers. It was growing and and expanding and prevailing all over the world. I mean, that was the character of the early church, just expanding and growing. Now, it's interesting here in in Acts chapter 19 of where this summary statement comes. It it comes right in the midst of Paul being in Ephesus. Uh, He had been in Ephesus uh, before. You can look at chapter 18 and verse uh, 19 through 20. Uh, Paul was in the synagogue reasoning with them. And those in Ephesus said, oh, please stay with us a little bit longer. And Paul says, no, I I, I can't. I got to go. But he says, Acts chapter 18, verse 21, I will return to you if God wills. And so Paul was in Ephesus. And apparently he was with them for a while. I don't know if there were any converts in Ephesus or not. Because he went away. And when he came back in Acts chapter 19, he found 10 men who believed in the baptism of John, but they had not heard of the baptism of Jesus. So here was in Ephesus where he had been talking with them, reasoning in the synagogue, probably left Ephesus fruitless. But then came back with these um, 10 men, 12 men, and they'd been baptized only in in John the Baptist. But hearing of Jesus, then they're baptized in the name of Jesus, and thus began the church with these 12 men, new converts into into the church in Acts chapter 19. And verse 9, we read about how they were in the school of the hall of Tyrannus, where Paul was arguing and seeking to convince people that Jesus the Christ stayed there another two years. He eventually stayed about three years, and things were going really well in this idolatrous city. I mean, look at how well it was doing. Verse 17, fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And also many of those who are now believers came confessing and di- divulging their practices. And this was this was idolatrous people who who offered up magic to these idols. And so they, they came with their with their books. Then a number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. That is repentance. When you're, you're turning from your old way of life, That's in these magic books, and these magic potions, and these idols. You're saying, no, I'm done with those. I am burning those. We're having a bonfire. I'm getting rid of those. I look forward to preaching this passage someday and having a bonfire outside our church. It's going to be a fun time when we, when we do that. But that's what they did. They were burning all these things. And so we read, verse 20, The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I say this, right, when expanding across the world, the word prevailed, the church prevailed mightily. Now, now soon after, verse 20, there was a, a riot in Ephesus. Right? All these people turning from their pagan practices then were disrupting and disturbing the uh, the business of, of Ephesus, which worshipped Artemis the Great. And so there was this, this battle. They hated the Christians because they were, were were losing income for their temple. And so they didn't like this. There was this big uproar, and soon Paul had to leave town, and he resolved... To go to Jerusalem and then to Rome. We read that in verse 21. After these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia, going to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So that was his plan. He was going to go. He's going to go to <clears throat> Rome, but he had to get there by way of Jerusalem. He wanted to be in Jerusalem by day of Pentecost. He finally gets there in chapter 21. Um, and then some things and events happen there, which then lead to our our final um, progress report. We find that in the very, very last verses of Acts 28. When Paul was restricted, the church carried on without hindrance. That's Acts 28, 30 and 31. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness without hindrance. let just think about Paul even in getting there. He wanted to go to Jerusalem first and then go to Rome. But when he went to Jerusalem, he walked in the temple, was arrested. And he spent the night in jail and tried to explain some things. And then it was found out that people were going to kill him. And so he had this clandestine army of of many horses. I think it's like 300 horses to take him from Jerusalem to Caesarea to protect him, where he was held there for a couple of years as a slave, as a, a prisoner rather. And he stood before kings, stood before Festus, he took, stood before Felix, he stood before Agrippa. Finally, appealing to Caesar, he says, "Okay, we'll send you to Rome." So he went to Rome on a prisonership. When he when he went there and finally he went to Rome as a prisoner, and he was under house arrest is where we find these very last two words, where he lived there at his own expense. He was there in his home, but he was awaiting trial for people to come. But while he was there, he was proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all hindrance. And I, I just said this idea right? this. When Paul's restricted, right? When he can't travel, still the kingdom is going without hindrance. I, I think that's the emphasis of what Luke wrote As He wrote these words. Yes, he was in his home. Yes, he was a prisoner of the state, but people were coming to him. And he was able to preach the gospel and he was able to send messengers out and to to do his will and to to have his fingers in in a lot of things happening in the church. The kingdom was continuing without hindrance. And and that's the end of the book of Acts. It ends on a note of the gospel going forward, unhindered. And though Paul was bound, the gospel was not. During the days when Paul wrote Second Timothy, it was right here in Acts 28 when he's in prison He's writing to his his young son in the faith, who's a pastor, trying to encourage him in these things. He said this. Remember, Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached by my gospel. Second, two nine, for which he says, I'm suffering bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. So I might be bound here in my own house. but the word of God is not bound. It was being proclaimed. The gospel was without hindrance. And it's interesting to note also how Luke ends the ends the book of Acts. He doesn't end it on a sour note. Like he doesn't end it through carrying through to finding the death of Paul and then recording Paul's death. Because I don't think that was Paul's purpose. He he didn't want it to to end in in sorrow or misery or or Paul dies and then you know that kind of happens. He wanted to end it with success. This was before he was beheaded in Rome, as the. The church is a book of triumph and success and progress, right? Nothing stops the church. That's the whole idea about all of these, uh, these progress reports. Uh, that's the idea. Even when Jesus leaves the church, when, when he's gone, he's in heaven. He's going to build his church in heaven apart from us. That's the first progress report. And the second one, right? Even when suffering and opposition comes, the church will multiply greatly. Through great suffering, the church will multiply greatly. And the, the third one, right? Even violence against the church... God can convert the most violent attacker of them all and bring peace and comfort in the Holy Spirit to the church. That was the third progress report. And the fourth one, even when branching out to new cultures and to the Gentiles, the church was increasing and growing. That's number four. Even when, when facing schisms and splits, doctrinal errors, personal differences, methodologies, the church was strengthened in the faith still. That's five. And, and even right, when expanding across the world, the church prevailed. That's six. And finally, seven, what we're here is even when Paul was restricted, the great apostle probably did more for Christianity than anybody else, humanly speaking. Even when he was bound, the church and the gospel went unhindered. And that's that's the whole idea about the book of Acts. And and my only prayer for us, just going through that, I just wanted to give you a different perspective of how to divide up the book of Acts. It really helps us get a a flavor of what Acts is about, is really to know something of the progress of the gospel at Rock Valley Bible Church. So let's let's pray as so we then transition to Lord's Supper. <clears throat>